0: Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 27 is the sermon text this morning. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. And hear the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And let us pray together. Gracious Father, we praise you for your word as ever. We acknowledge to you that, well, here in a passage like this, you you speak to us in the very struggle of our own existence, as you so often do. Oh, God, you are a kind and a gracious father who acknowledges with tender mercies the mercy of a father to his children who are in a world uh, full of difficulties. And you speak to us as one who is ready and able to help us. Father, let us hear as those who need your help this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, as I had indicated, verses 18 through 25 formed their own paragraph uh such that as we come now to verse 26 and verse 27, uh, we could say they form a new paragraph, or at least these are two verses which belong together before the great conclusion or climax of the chapter, which begins in verse 28 and takes us to the end of the chapter. Those are the most well-known verses of the chapter, verses 28 to the end, if God is for us, who is against us, that sort of thing. But as we look at these two particular verses verses 26 and 27, the question which immediately confronts us is the question of its relation to that which precedes. That is a question which confronts us straight away in the first word of the verse, likewise. And the question surrounds the word likewise. To what does it refer? Like what? Well, there are two possibilities And I would stress before I even state both possibilities that both are true. It's merely a question of where the true emphasis lies. One view is that Paul is continuing the teaching on suffering, introduced in verse 17 and then elaborated in verses 18 through 25. That prior paragraph was was devoted to the subject of suffering in the present time, the sufferings of the world, the sufferings of the Christian, and so on. And so as part of that discussion, the first few states, he now includes the difficulty we find in prayer and the remedy offered for the gospel. It's especially in view here is the difficulty we find praying in times of suffering. When we are especially aware that we are suffering, the thing that we struggle to do most is pray. And I would agree with that. I think we would all agree with that. This is the common view, the first view. In this case, the likewise functions in this way, that just as believers are sustained in what they suffer by the hope of their salvation, of which the spirit is the first fruits, verses 18 through 25, or more narrowly, verses 23 through 25, just as hope counterbalances the sufferings of the present, likewise, believers are supported in the infirmities to which they are subject by the help of the spirit. That's how the likewise functions there. It's a similar type of argument. A second view promoted by Martin Lloyd-Jones is that verses 18 through 25 uh, as a paragraph form a parenthesis. Paul uh, had been, all through chapter 8, emphasizing the ministry of the Spirit to us. But having introduced the idea of suffering in verse 17 within the context of the ministry of the Spirit to us, he takes up the subject of suffering in parenthetical form, verses 18 through 25. And then when he comes to verse 26, he resumes the more general discussion of the Spirit's ministry to believers. In this case, the likewise that begins the verse introduces a yet further ministry of the Spirit. He dwells in us. He gives us spiritual minds and spiritual thoughts. He enables us to mortify mortify the flesh. He leads us. He assures us of sonship. He enables us to cry out, a Father. He witnesses uh, to our hearts, adding his witness to ours. In all these ways, he's leading us. He's indwelling us. He's ministering grace to us and so on. And likewise, that is, in addition to all of those things, he helps us also in our infirmities in prayer. Now, again... It's important to note that both views are true. It's merely a question of emphasis to what does the word likewise refer. I confess I'm indifferent. I'm happy with both views. Oftentimes I think it's possible to say, uh, you know, we don't have to choose. Both are true. At any rate. What is called suffering in the prior passage is called infirmity or weakness here. here. Uh, weakness is what you find in the New King James. I don't know what uh, the SV has, but infirmity is what the King James has. And since most of my old commentaries are based on the King James, I'm going to go with the word infirmity. What is called the sufferings of the present time in the prior passage is called infirmity here, which leads me to the first point, which is a question. What does the apostle mean when he speaks of infirmity or weakness? Well, clearly, uh, what he said in the prior verses uh, made him think of this. And so there obviously is some connection, however you define it. The idea of infirmity, our own infirmity, fits in with the previous discussion on the sufferings of the present time. Verse 18. It's something that could be described in the same way. It's general. It's pervasive. It affects us all because of sin. In other words, no one is exempt. All are subject to this infirmity because we are in the body. We're all suffering, verses 18 through 25. So, too, we are all, let us say, infirm or weak. Although that is not to say uh, this idea is purely physical. It's equally spiritual, uh, which Paul tells us when he describes the infirmity primarily in the spiritual realm, that of prayer. Though that is not to say that the infirmity or the weakness that Paul is speaking of is in itself sinful. It is not. It is rather like suffering, which is not in itself sinful either, the effect or the consequence of sin. This is what happens to man, even redeemed man, in a world that is cursed by God. Man in the body is weak. He's infirm. He is subject to certain limitations. He can't always do what he sets out to do. He's frustrated in his design and his purpose. In that way, uh, this idea of the infirmity of the believer is very similar to what is said about the creation. Verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So to the believer, likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's he saying? Well, we've been subjected to futility. We set out to do something. In, in this particular case, we set out to pray. That's really just one example. You could speak of the infirmity in many ways, but we set out to pray. That's our, our intention, our design, and we are utterly frustrated in it. We're infirm. We're weak. So it's weakness of the body on account of sin. It is important to say, let me say with reverence, that this was true even of our Lord himself. That this constituted an aspect of his humiliation, of his bodily existence as he dwelt among us. Uh, The the larger catechism, uh, question 48, describes uh, the humiliation, the sufferings of Christ, as including the infirmities of the flesh. He, too, who was strong was made weak for us, even to the point of dying on the cross. Yes, there it ends. Well, we should say it ends when he's raised from the grave. The weakness of the body even brought him to the depths of the grave. But we ought to see that, uh, as I like to quote Horatius Bonar, from the cradle to the cross, his whole life was a life of suffering. And part of that suffering was the infirmities of the flesh. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says something very interesting and very uh, illuminating in this regard. He says that he learned obedience by what he suffered. A- am I saying, and this is where we're standing on dangerous ground. I have to be careful. But, but, are we? Am I saying that Christ, even in a sense in His humanity, struggled to pray? Yes, I am saying that. In His humanity, this was part of the weakness. Of the flesh to which he was subjected. I am not saying by that that Christ sinned. No he never sinned. But he suffered in this way. He was subjected to this infirmity. Indeed it is in that very sense. That he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Not just the weakness of sin. But just weakness. He can sympathize even with that. Why? Because he knew it. He knew it for a time. He learned obedience by all that he suffered. Even the infirmities. Of the body he was made to suffer in every sense the awful consequences of sin not just at the cross but all of his life. Do we not see something of the difficulty he found in prayer even in Gethsemane you see we're standing on holy ground we're considering uh, a mystery but I tell you it is so and as this constituted part of the sufferings of Jesus Christ the infirmities of the flesh. As Westminster Larger Catechism says, you see it it elaborates the idea. Here it just says infirmity, but but I'm in agreement with the Larger Catechism. When it says infirmity, it means the infirmity of the body. As that constituted an aspect of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, so it constitutes a major part of the sufferings of the believer for the present. Indeed, I agree with Haldane when he says that this infirmity to which the believer is subject, subjected is so great that but for the ministry of the spirit and believers, it would be enough to sink even the best believers into a state of total despair. There isn't a way we could go on in faith for a single day, even redeemed, even regenerated. We would sink and fall into despair. In other words, what we have here in this Verse, verse 26, is the doctrine of the necessity of the Holy Spirit in believers. He's necessary because we're weak, because we're so weak, because we're in bodies that are unredeemed. And what the apostle is really telling us here is that there wouldn't be a single Christian in the world but for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in you, he says, verses 9, 10, and 11. Do do you realize how dramatically important that is? How urgently important it is that the Spirit should be in you? Christ has gone to the Father, but he has sent his Spirit to take up his residence in you. Do you realize that you couldn't go on a single moment in the Christian life? You're just too weak if you didn't have the Spirit there to help you. The ministry of the Spirit is necessary. How does this infirmity manifest itself? It manifests itself in general. One thinks of the body, and I know uh, that I'm speaking to people who know this well, because anyone who's ever lived the Christian life for a single day knows this well. The body is a kind of dead weight at times. Now that leads us wrongly to despise the body. That isn't the Christian view, but at times we're tempted to do that. The body's a kind of dead weight. It's holding us back. It's holding us down. It's making us weak when we would be strong. I would go further. It's working against us. It's working against the better principles of the inner man. Not just because of the sin that dwells in the flesh, but simply because of its weakness. It is subject to corruption and decay, not willingly. No, like the creation, but because of uh, he who subjected it in hope. Think how difficult it is, as Paul says, to pray. Just to pray every day for five minutes. Can you do that? Uninterrupted prayer for five minutes every day. I think that's harder than it sounds. I know that's harder than it sounds. Think how difficult it is. Though I I must really commend you. You do very well. But think how difficult it is. To sustain a spiritual interest. And the outlook of faith for a single hour in worship. It's not an easy thing to do. What's hindering us? Well what's hindering us is the weakness of the body. Now, you can blame sin for that and you would be right. The body is terribly sinful. You could blame Satan. And indeed, I would often say that I do often say that uh, that worship is the arena of spiritual warfare. The spirit is active, but so is Satan. So is the flesh. But the picture is incomplete, if that's all you say. It's also just the fact of the body, the body. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? He kept finding them asleep. He said, you know, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the the flesh is weak. Watch, therefore, I say. You see, the spirit is willing. The inner man wants to pray, but the flesh is so weak. We're like these disciples. We're drowsy. We're sleepy. Some of you sometimes fall asleep in the worship service. I always notice it. I don't always comment The flesh is weak. It, that's the general picture. The particular picture is this. What is primarily in view here is prayer. Again, that's where the disciples' weakness manifested itself. They should have been praying, they were sleeping. I think that's a great picture of what Paul is saying here. But we can be even more specific than that. It's that in prayer, we don't know what to say. Well, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. Where to begin? What to say, how to fill the time. We don't even know what to pray for as we ought, Paul says. We are confronted with difficulties every day. We're confronted with the weakness, the infirmity of our own bodies. Oh God, now what is it exactly I ought to say to you? That's the trouble. In other words, the picture of the believer is this there is in his heart a desire to pray, he wants to pray. But in this he finds great difficulty. He doesn't know what to pray for. He's like the disciples in the Gospels. Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say give us a desire to pray. The desire was there. They said teach us to pray. We don't know what to say. We are finding difficulty to find the words. We don't know what to pray for. We're baffled by our circumstances. We're suffering every day. We are befuddled in our minds. We look for words to say and we find them not. Now it is a great mistake, beloved, to think that the believer is not affected by this. To think that the curse only affects the creation or it only affects the unbeliever. No, Paul has been very clear that for all that can be said of the ministry of the spirit inwardly, his ministry uh, now, His ministry outwardly is something we must look for then. The body is dead because of sin, even as the spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's something you've got to contend with every single day. You're born again. You're full of the spirit. These things are wonderful. Still, you must confront the infirmity of the body. Still, you will sigh to yourself. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's so incredibly weak. Now, there are helps to us in this. A help such as Matthew Henry's Guide to Prayer, and I commend it to you all. I read it almost every day with profit. It's a tremendous help to us on the question, what am I to pray for? What am I to say? But it doesn't offer us all the help we need. We still need to particularize and personalize our prayers. We can't just read prayers. We've got to pray for ourselves. We've got to cultivate and develop the faculty of praying to the Father. And here, Henry cannot help us. He can offer us a model, but he cannot pray for us. He cannot keep up the soul's secret converse with God in prayer on a daily basis. And so that leads me now to a second point. And that is that there are two truths, two truths That the apostle here is telling us about prayer. The first is its importance. Here is, he tells us, the arena in which the believer discovers his weakness. But it's also the the arena in which he must endeavor to overcome that weakness. For prayer is his access to God, his Father, who art in heaven. Can he, the believer, live without prayer? Is he content to go all his days and never speak to his Father? I ask you, does that match your experience? Does it match the description of what the Apostle Paul is describing here of the believer who's full of the Spirit? This is someone who's speaking to the Father, who's even crying out to the Father as the Father. Someone who is communing with the Father by prayer. Yes, Paul is admitting the difficulty, but he is also assuming the practice. The believer is struggling to pray. Oh yes, that is true. But still he prays. And the man who never prays to God as his Father might well wonder if anything that is said in chapter 8 is true of him in that sense prayer alone constitutes a very important test of one's claim to be a christian as one who is indwelt by the spirit and yet we must admit as a second truth along with the importance of prayer as uh, as i say the, the soul's secret converse with god every day pray at all times paul says we must admit the difficulty we must we can all be very insistent on praying. You know, you ought to be praying. Don't go a day without praying. In fact, as I just said, don't even claim that you're a Christian if you don't pray. We can be so insistent about it. Not too long ago, I preached a sermon just on prayer. But still, I think it's possible to be too superficial in our, uh, in our view of prayer as we insist upon it. To act as though there's no difficulty in it. Do we not sometimes betray ourselves in this when we say, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. Never mind the question of honesty. Is it possible that we're treating prayer as something that's too easy when we say that? When we brush aside our brother with the words, I'll pray for you. Here is a man who's presenting a great difficulty to you. Uh, Don't too quickly brush him aside with those words. No, it isn't quite that easy, Paul is saying. Do you realize that? haven't you discovered that? If ever you did bother to pray for him, as you said you would. These difficulties we face in life, they don't go away once we begin to pray. No, the difficulty remains even as we try to pray. Is that not one of the great difficulties and hindrances we all find as we try to live out the Christian life? It isn't just the. We face and find so many difficulties. It's that uh, those difficulties confront us even as we try to pray. We don't even know how to pray about them. We are unable, uh, thus Paul says, to help ourselves. Such is the problem that faces the sons of God in this world and they only. They are the sons of God, but they don't know how to pray for themselves as they ought. And I would say if you claim you haven't known this for yourself, this difficulty I'm describing, then you've never truly prayed. I remember once reading about Thomas Shepard, one of the early pilgrim fathers in this country, saying, it's really a striking statement. I'm almost afraid to say it, but I agree with him. He says, sometimes I would rather die than pray. I don't know if you could state the reluctance uh, that he felt in his heart any stronger than that. I ask you, do you rebuke him in your heart? Do you upbraid him for saying that? Or do you have sympathy for him, having known this yourself? Sometimes I find I would rather do anything else, anything else in the whole world, than go to God in prayer. I'm reluctant. I find just at the moment I set out to pray, there is a dead weight on my heart, which try as I might, I cannot remove. Well, thank God that isn't the complete picture. There is here, as ever, a gospel remedy offered to us as a third point. The remedy is stated as simply as ever. Yes, we are weak, but the spirit helps us in our weakness. The spirit is there, uh, as the commentators say, and, and I quite like this picture. He's there to lend a helping hand. He's saying, you know, that burden is very great on your shoulders. Let me help you to bear it. And perhaps you'll find it's a little lighter. Now, what he isn't saying is that the Spirit will bear it for us in full. He isn't saying, well, you know, and I'm going to say this later. The Spirit's going to pray for you, so you don't need to pray. He is going to say the Spirit's going to pray for you. But the conclusion is not, we don't need to pray. It's just, he's there to pray along with you. He's there to help you. At the moment that we are the weakest. That we find this infirmity the strongest. Where we are like shepherd, rather... Dying, than praying. The spirit is there to help us. That's the gospel promise. In other words, he's saying this. We are weak, but the spirit is strong. We are unable to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 26. Again, or likewise, the solution is this, the ministry of the spirit in us. We sometimes find that sin is too great for us. Well, the Spirit helps us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. At other times, we find that we are doubting whether we are sons. The Spirit is there to help us, giving us assurance. At other times, we find difficulty in praying. Likewise, the Spirit's there to help us as well. Have you learned and have you enjoyed the blessed ministry of the Spirit in you? Before we consider the nature of this intercession, which is a prayer... I want to ask this question very briefly, and that is, is this something exceptional or something common? He's referring to groanings which cannot be uttered, found in the hearts of believers, prompted by the Spirit. Is that something that's happening always or only at certain times? Well, again, I refuse to answer the question. I don't know. I think it's a question worth answering or at asking at the very least, even if I'm unable to answer it. It's the kind of thing we're all grappling with here. What is he really describing? The ministry of the Spirit to us. Is he saying he's doing it all the time, or is he doing it only sometimes? I confess my preference. I lean in the direction that once more this is something, as with the witness of the Spirit, something that is exceptional. Not something that he's always doing, but Paul is describing seasons of prayer which are unusually blessed. But what is the nature of what he's expressing? The nature of this intercession, which he makes in our hearts with groanings that cannot be uttered. Well, we could divide the matter as Owen does, noting two things. One is that we lack the matter of prayer. We don't know what to say. We don't know what we should be praying for. We look for words and find them not. Well, here is the Spirit's ministry of intercession for us. He helps us how? By filling our hearts and our minds with the matter of prayer. Things, uh, he tells us, which are agreeable to the will of God. You see, the problem with unbelief is that you can start praying, but you're like the unbeliever. You're like the Pharisee. Uh, You're just heaping up empty phrases. They ascend to heaven and God hears them not. But here, uh, the Spirit enables us to pray for the things we ought to pray for. He's filling our minds with the things that are agreeable to God's will. Even God's will itself. So that the believer is able to to pray God's will. The ministry of the spirit matching the problem is that we are able to pray as we ought. But that isn't the only thing. And, and Owen was a great help to me in this. And here we get to something of the mystery of the groanings which cannot be uttered. It isn't just the matter of prayer Paul is speaking of. But it's also the manner, the manner of prayer. For men may have words to say agreeable to God's word, and yet do so in a graceless manner. In another place, Owen says, many men have the gift of prayer, but not the grace of prayer. Well, here I'm speaking of the grace of prayer. You may know what to say. You may be able to pray in a very edifying way, especially in a public setting, and yet lack the grace of prayer. A heart which is unaffected with the truths that are uttered in prayer. In fact, Owen goes on to say, as I remember it, that such prayers destroy the soul rather than help it. The graceless prayer. Well, the Spirit helps us in this way as well. He helps us as to the manner. This is what Owen says. He does not only enable them to pray, but worketh affections in them suitable unto what they pray about. For these things proceed from the work of the Spirit on their wills and affections, stirring them up and carrying them forth unto God in and by the matter of their prayers In such a manner as no vehement working of natural affections can reach unto. And therefore is the spirit said to make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. His working in us and acting by us that frame of heart. And those fervent laboring desires which are so expressed. And these with such depth of intention and laboring of mind as cannot be uttered. You see, uh, uh, how did he put it? In such a manner as no vehement working of natural affections can Reach unto. He's saying, you can't just sit down and say, I'm going to stir myself up to this. He's saying, only the Spirit can stir you up to true prayer. Only the Spirit can make you pray like this. Only the Spirit can make you really pray. And when he's doing so well, you're aware of it. You're conscious of the fact that he's doing something in you that you could never have done in your own strength. He's helping you. He's enabling you to pray. Not just as to the matter of prayer, giving you words to say, but the manner. Working affections in them suitable unto what they pray about. Stirring up such things in the heart as cannot be uttered. Longings, vehement desires, laboring of the mind, and so on. And so as we look at this word groaning, I found myself asking this week, what was meant by that? And and, and the various men I read, not entirely in agreement about that. Some were saying, you know, this is an actual groaning that we're doing in prayer. I don't think that's quite right. I would not attach too much importance to the word groaning. You see, he's not saying we're groaning in prayer. That, that isn't the thought. I think that's the thought as it's often presented. Rather, he's describing the disposition of the heart, the frame of the heart, the manner in which the spirit frames and fashions our heart in a praying uh, in a praying manner. He fits the heart. So that it might pray, and the way uh, that the, that heart is said to function in prayer is that of groaning. In other words, that of a longing, fervent desire. That's the disposition of the heart. The heart is yearning after God. It's sighing. It's panting. It's longing. And that is uh, that is that intense desire is prompted by. The spirit himself. I won't pretend that anything I'm saying is easy. There is something deeply mysterious about all this. I read what Paul is saying here and, and all week I think. Now how do I relate to this as a believer in my own experience? At other times in this passage I found it easier. I've said you know I can pinpoint times when, when I've been made by the spirit. When I've been prompted to cry out Abba Father. I can pinpoint other times when he shed abroad the love of God in my heart. What's he describing here? Well, I say again, it's something deeply mysterious. And yet I would say at the same time, this is something only the believer knows. And perhaps only at certain times. Namely, praying in the Spirit. I'm talking about the the mystery of prayer which is prompted and energized by the Spirit. Times in which it seems we have, by the Spirit, been brought into the very presence of God. And that thing... Uh, That's not so easy, you see. And surely we must all admit, given our own inherent weakness, that prayer would be impossible but for this. But for the Spirit's help. And the promise may be stated thus. In our difficulty, the Spirit is there to help us. His ministry is called an intercession. Does that remind you of anyone? Well, Christ's ministry is called an intercession. And the intercession is the same. It agrees in every point, though it occurs in a different arena. Christ's intercession occurs in heaven. The, Spirit, the Spirit's intercession occurs in our heart. Robert Haldane says the intercession of Jesus before the throne is an echo to the prayer taught by the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Isn't that amazing to think? The, the prayers of Jesus Christ in the courts of heaven placed upon the lips of the believer... By the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's stirring them up. He's prompting their hearts. He's enabling them to pray. Things which are agreeable to the will of God. Things which exist in his mind. And in the mind and on the lips of Jesus Christ. They're placed on the lips of the believer. This is the mystery of praying in the spirit. And part of the mystery Paul is saying. Is that the spirit inwardly is praying for us. He's praying for us in our hearts, even as he takes up his residence there. And as he does so, he's prompting us to pray. He's leading us to pray, even as we find such longings and such desires of the heart as cannot be uttered with words. Be assured, if you find such things in your heart, they come from the Spirit. He's interceding. Second, the second promise is God knows our hearts. He knows all things. And this means... As Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and his encouragement to prayer that he knows our needs even if we do not. You see, we don't know what to pray for, but he does. And not only can he supply our needs, but he can enable us to pray according to our true need. And that's, that's what he's doing when he, when he sends the spirit to us. He sends the spirit to this end so that we might pray according to our true need. Lastly, such prayers are agreeable to his will. That's the third promise. And thus they are acceptable to him. He hears such prayers. Murray says they are wholly intelligible to him, even if not to us. We may find such, uh, such sighings and longings of the heart. as cannot be uttered. And even perhaps we would call them groaning. And perhaps we are groaning. We say, well, is that prayer? Paul says it is prayer. Paul says God, God is able to hear the voice of the spirit in the heart of the believer. He delights in such prayers. He accepts them. They're according to his will. And so I close with these two words of application. The first is this. Let us acknowledge our weakness to God in prayer. That's always a good starting point. Let us not come to God professing our riches but our poverty. Let us come to him as those who are poor in spirit. Let us pray with this in mind always. Oh, God, we are weak, but you are strong. Never pretend the weakness of the flesh, the infirmity isn't there. In other words, this has a way of informing the whole thought, the whole concept of what prayer is. Let us stop in the practice of prayer. Let us stop praying as though we knew when only God knows. Prayer is not us telling God what we think he should do. I know that's how we often pray. That's not what prayer is. That is not a proper concept of prayer scripturally. Nor does it match our experience. We ought to know how foolish and weak we are. Stop telling God what you think he should do. He knows what you need. Even before you ask. And the reality is you don't have a clue what you need. He doesn't stand in need of our counsel. Prayer is not us offering unto God our own wisdom. Prayer is us seeking from God that wisdom which is from above. Prayer is not us stating to God our own will. But rather our desire for his. Thy will be done. Our desire to know and to submit to his will with the confession that our wills are flawed. They are weak. We don't have a clue. That's the true idea of prayer. It is submission to the divine will. But let us see at the same time as a second point of application. That the spirit in us is the truest and the best encouragement to true prayer there is. Given that weakness. Not as though, well, he prays for me, so why must I? We could falsely infer that in an antinomian kind of way. The Spirit's praying for me. Uh, The Lord hears such prayers. So what use is there in me praying? In reality, the opposite is actually true. The man who is most full of the Spirit will be the one who enjoys the greatest ease, the greatest freedom, the greatest faculty of, the greatest enjoyment in prayer. He's the man who'll be praying in the Spirit. He's the man who'll be praying in the presence of the Father consciously. Enjoying all the blessings of prayer. And he's doing so he knows by the spirit, not by his own strength. Here indeed is the spirit's ministry to us, Paul says. He helps the believer to pray. We are not left to ourselves in our weakness. Christ has left us, it is true. He's gone to the father bodily, but he has sent us another helper to help us in our weakness. So then let us pray. And let us come to the table now.